2: the Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used vehicles in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie
3: You're very welcome to Thursday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. We've a packed show over the next couple of hours, so straight to business today. Do you remember last week we enjoyed great banter with listeners about keeping diaries here on the show? One of those who told us about the diary she's been keeping since she was 15 was Mary Fitzsimons. Now, the conversation last week was short because we had a lot of people involved uh, telling us the diary stories. But today... I have time and I want to bring to you the life and times of Mary Fitzsimon. She's with me in the hot seat. Mary, you're very welcome to the show.
4: Hi, Jerry. Thanks very much
3: for having me. Not at all. Oh, well, look, I only scratched the surface with you last week and I said, I have to talk to this woman in more detail. Let's tell them who you are. You're from Cullen. You're born and reared, Yes, I am. Cullen. I
4: live in Cullen all my life, yeah. Who was your mum and dad? Uh, my mum was Mae Keeley from Keat, and my dad was Jim McGuire from Keat. And they met and they had a, a lovely love story and they fell in love and got married and uh, um, they had their family then. Yes. How many children were there? Um, there's my brother Seamus and um, I had another brother, Dominic, who sadly passed away when he was eight. Oh, my meningitis. God. Yes. was it back then? Yes, oh. it was, yeah. So Seamus was there, then Dominic arrived. Then Dominic came along and then Dominic passed away at eight in 1965. So and then I came along in August 1966 66. so they had you yeah. then as well a- actually on the same day as Seamus's birthday I don't believe August, it yeah. yourself and Seamus have the same yeah. birthday There's 11 years between us isn't that yeah. such
3: a coincidence yes. as well yes. oh my god it must have been shocking, sad for it them to lose their little yes, boy of course, yes, yeah, back then your, your mum is well known in church circles wasn't she yes yeah. she
4: was the sacristan in the church in Cullen for 18 years oh
2: god yeah
4: May. she was May McGuire, yeah, yeah she was a great woman yeah she loved that she loved doing all the flower and she'd do flowers as you know as a hobby and for a living as well you know make flower arrangements, reeds blessings of the graves, holly mm. reeds at Christmas, mm. she'd do all that as well but her love was the church and calling. Yes. Yeah
3: and your dad's love was the garden wasn't he? Yes, a gardener.
4: he loved the garden and um, he was a gardener in lots of places helping out and then he was he worked in the brickyard in Grange Keat for over 20 years as well
3: Yeah they've both passed on at this yes, stage Yes they have passed on. Now Cullen National School, I think you, you, went to school in Cullen and then where, where where was your secondary school?
4: I went to school in Green Hills then in Drogheda. Here in yeah, Yes.
3: OK, completed the education. Where did you go to work then?
4: I worked in Chiltern Electric in Dunlare for a number of years and then I went to Boston for six months in 1987. A uh, cousin of mine, Anne, who had gone over there before that and I just went over with her, and, uh, I worked mining children over there just for six months. I suppose I am a home board. Mm. So, um, I came back and I got my job back in the factory in Dunlear and I worked there for another couple of years. And then I got a job working in North East Removals with Seamus. With Seamus, yeah. And, um, I was, um, you know, going around uh, doing the surveys and the houses, people moving houses. And that's always quite a nice job. Mm. Um, wanted to decorate every time I come home every evening. Of course. Um, and then I did a carer's course, and I, now I'm working in Moorhall, uh, Moorhall Retirement Village in R D. As
3: a carer for the last nine years.
4: Na- last nine years. We say yeah.
3: hello to everybody down yes, there today because I know they listen and they're fantastic people. And to the the crew in Drogheda as well. Actually, we we're talking to them here on the show last week. Now. This fella, David Fitzsimons, you married him in 1991, was it? That's right. Where did you
4: meet him? Uh, I met him through friends of ours, actually friends of mine I went to school with. Um, David moved from Cavan when he was uh, 12 up to Tully Allen. And um, we met probably when we were about 16. We were always good friends and we got together then and we got married in 1991. There you yeah. go.
3: Love stories and begin love stories. in Tully Allen. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> and other yeah. As well yeah. besides. So you marry and, of course, you want to have a family. You, you come yeah. from a lovely family and you're, you're looking to have children yourself. Yes.
4: yes, we are indeed, of course, and you get married. And, you know, I suppose it was the natural process then to follow on with children. Unfortunately, that didn't happen for us. Um, so it was a tough road. We went through various uh, treatments of IVF. And it was a hard time because, of course, you know, friends and family are having their own families, and they're moving on, and you kind of feel you're left behind. Um, we dearly wanted children, and um, so it didn't happen that way.
3: Was the IVF tough?
4: Very tough, Jerry. yes, it was, yeah. It was. you give tough. it a go a number of times, did uh, you? Twice, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was very hard, you know, it, it's, it's very... A roller coaster of emotions. It was really, really tough. Now, and I suppose I became a really good actress because you know everyone would be saying, "Oh, you're so great. You're so going to great holidays, and you're so doing this." And you know, I'd say, "Oh, yes, your life's great," but inside, you know, you, all you wanted was a baby, really. Yes. You know, yeah. so it was
3: tough. And, and you kept that to yourselves, did you? That you we were going actually, through this journey. Yeah, we did actually. Yeah. Only yeah. a
4: few people kind mm, of really knew it. Mm. You know, it was, and we, didn't, you know, we didn't really make a big.
3: Did you get this thing, you know, the thing that people get from others all the time when you get married, they're expecting a baby the next week? Did you have all these... All
4: that, yeah. And it's very, you know, you just love to tell people not to... to get lost. Leave us alone. Yeah, Yeah. you know, know, it was a very hard time, Mm. you know. Um, Did they tell you then ultimately or
3: did you make the call to say, look, we're at the end of this road, not going to do this anymore?
4: With the IVF and that, yeah, yeah. I suppose we did, yeah, you know, it was tough and we came to a stage, right, we said, you know, we kind of decided, well, that's it, you know, our life is not with children, maybe, and that's what we decided then.
3: But, 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 that wasn't to be the case, because you were determined to have a child in your life. Tell them what you did.
4: Um, We adopted our son from Kazakhstan. What year was that? Uh, We adopted him in 2002.
3: Was that a big process to uh, put that afoot before you actually went out there? Was there a lot involved?
4: Yeah, well, it took exactly three years okay, from when we put our name down on Mm. the adoption list to when we actually went to Kazakhstan. Now, I suppose the first year, nothing really happened. Your name was on a list. After that, then there was meetings with social workers and paperwork and all that. And then I suppose the last year or so, then... Lots of stuff started happening, you know. We had to get visas and you know, more, it just it up a bit mm, more, you know. Mm. Um, so in 2002, we headed off. In 2001, my mum passed away, which was very tough because she had been with us the whole journey through. She was actually even interviewed by the social worker because you know, we had shared, we had built onto our home place on in Cullen, so she, you know, she would have been living under the same roof as such. So, all this had to be taken into account. Um, But thankfully we got uh, the war to head to Kazakhstan, so we left Ireland on the 27th of uh, June 2002. And how long did you
3: spend over there?
4: Uh, We were there for three weeks in total. When did you see him? The the first day we met Ross was the 29th of June.
3: And did you know, did you see pictures of him beforehand? Yeah, we had got a
4: photograph and we had got a medical report and, um, you know, a photograph and all that. So, yeah, we had some details all right, yeah.
3: What was that like to see him for the first time? It was
4: unbelievable. Yeah. I can still see remember we were in the um like a room upstairs in the orphanage and uh I always tell this story to Ross, he probably like listen to it and uh, there was another lady actually there as well from America, adopting a little girl and uh, we could hear the nurse coming up the stairs, coming up the foot you know, the stairs, you not know, coming her footsteps coming along and like we didn't know who was coming in first, you know, like but uh and the nurse came at Ross and just put him in her arms. Yeah, it was unreal, yeah. And
3: that was the beginning yeah. of a wonderful yeah. story. What
4: age is he today? He's 17 now. He was 11 months old when we came home. When you took him home. Yeah. Was that yeah.
3: magical coming it home and un- meeting family and friends unbelievable, and introducing a, him yeah. to them? Yeah, it was a
4: huge, uh, huge party in Cullen that day. Was there? People yeah. still talk about <laughs> it. Uh, um, great people to party. Yeah. But uh, it was fantastic. It was the best. When the day the plane landed in Dublin Airport, that was the best moment of our lives mm. because... You know, we never really thought that had happened, but uh, it was brilliant. There you go.
3: So you went through the channels here, the legal end of things, and did it all properly and everything yes. happened. And home you are with him. And, and you have your little boy. Now, your life is full of so many twists and turns. So you have him and you're looking after him and he brings great joy to yourself and and David's life. 2011, I want to jump up to 2011, and suddenly your life has turned topsy turvy. Tell us what yeah. happened.
4: In September 2011, actually seven years this month, um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. It was the most, going from the best day of your life to the most horriblest day ever. Um, it was awful. Um, I had an operation, um, had radiation, chemo, various different treatments, but it was just, you know, a horrendous time. Do you stare
3: mortality in the face? Did you think about this? Oh, absolutely. If you had to
4: say to me seven years ago, uh, you know, you'd be sitting with Jerry Kelly chatting on LMFM, not a hope, but I even think I'd be here, you know, and that's just, I suppose, the improvements in medication and everything, it's fantastic because there's no way seven years ago I would have thought ever I'd be around a year. And a year later, like, you know, never mind, seven years later. So it's fantastic to mm. be here and, uh, you know, to be still writing and keeping a diary all these years. And
3: Yes. And we're going to come know, on to that in a minute because that's uh, where we got you from and heard from you. It came back. You, you overed in 2011 and you were in yeah. the clear. What happened in 2014?
4: In 2014, then I was diagnosed with uh, secondary breast cancer. Um, so I had to go on to different medication then again. And uh, I'd done a trial, trial drug in Bowman for a year. And so I was up and down to Bowman every week for that. And, uh, you know, you're just various forms of medication. I suppose they'll work for a while and then, you know, they won't. And then you go for scans every three months. And that's an awful time because I kind of now live life really every three months. I get my scan and thank God all's good. You get on with the next three months, you know, and I really don't look too far ahead in life.
3: So, you're living with cancer, I'm that's living what you're with saying. Cancer, yeah. And you're taking the medication yeah. and you're checked regularly. I'm
4: checked regularly, yeah.
3: So, you really are someone who lives in the moment.
4: Oh, absolutely. And I suppose a lot of that would be down to the Gary Kelly Centre, which I attend, which is fantastic. Mindfulness and all the different courses to do there, they're just unbelievable. And we're so lucky to have them on our doorstep.
3: And they're lucky to have you too because you've given them quite a block of money since you've become involved with them, haven't you? Well, well it's nearly 20,000.
4: Yeah, we've done a few yeah, fun rehearsals.
3: Oh, she's trying to play this down. They're fantastic. And I know Anne and the crew love you up there and for what you've done for them as well. But you look, we can't speak highly enough about them. Yeah. So many people pass through yeah. here talking and to me. And the
4: oncology unit in the of virus course. is unreal too. Yes. You know, they're fabulous girls and the staff and Professor Hennessy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're all brilliant. And we're lucky to have them on yeah, the doorstep. And so. look
3: at all the girls dipping in the nip just last yes, Sunday for Yes, absolutely. Again. They're fantastic. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. So, you know, here you are and you're going through these difficult times and look at you as bright as a button today and as happy a person as I've ever met. Folks, when you hear this, this, this ain't over yet. Tell them what happened to you in March this year.
4: Well, in March this year, I had a heart attack, so I hadn't enough going on. Um, Yeah, I had a heart attack, which uh, happened to me the twenty third of March this year. And um, I'm very lucky to get over that. Um, now, I, tell us the story.
3: You didn't think this was serious, did you, the way you were feeling?
4: No, I, I kind of had a pain just underneath, you know, in my chest, but it wasn't like a pain that you'd be clutching your chest. It was just more, it really felt more like indigestion pain. And um, I just didn't feel that well. It was early in the morning, my husband had gone to work and... Um, so I rang my cousin Sinead Taff, who's a nurse who we all depend on so much and is a fantastic person. Um, I said, you know, I don't just feel that good. And at that stage, I had actually got sick very suddenly. And um, so she came down, she rang the ambulance. The ambulance came, was taken out to the Lurds. I was only in the Lurds when I took a cardiac arrest. In the hospital? In the hospital.
3: Oh, my God, wasn't yeah. Sinead... Yeah, absolutely. Didn't she play a blinder for yeah, you there, yeah. really? A yes, oh, of course. So there's yeah. panic stations. Do you remember, did you go out of it? Did you pass... Um,
4: I remember going into the hospital and all, you know, and then I remember the doctor saying to me, uh, Mary, you've had a heart attack. We're moving you to the matter. Now, when he said that to me, I actually thought he got the wrong patient. I thought he was at the wrong bed because I couldn't believe it. And he says to me, we nearly lost you. He said, we're getting you up to Dublin, to the matter, and uh, we look after you from there. So then I was, you know, sirens blazing up the road into the matter. Um, I remember driving up, like, going this is mad, this is not happening. But, you know, it was just, there was not one thing you could do, only just be in the hands of, you know, the good people that was looking after me. Mm. And uh, got to the masher and uh, got a stent in and came back to the Lords that day and um, spent a week in there and I got home on the Good Friday, which was a Great Friday. It
3: was a Great Friday, yes, exactly. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
5: Are
3: are you the bionic woman? (sighs)
4: well I'm just very lucky Yeah, I'm very lucky <laughs> I
3: have to say you're remarkable so th- that's been dealt with now as such it is. are, are, are t- you on, yes, that on medication Yes I am on medication
4: for that and I done the rehab, uh, rehabilitation programme in the Lurds, which was fantastic and the girls there were brilliant so I know a lot of the, the people in the Lurds in different sections of it now but like we're so lucky to have the Lurds here because mm. you know it's too many people give out about it all the time but They're fantastic when you need them. Um, But yeah, I'm on medication for that. And thank God all's going great. And I'm back to work the last couple of weeks. So that's great. So you're just back, getting back into
3: the work cycle now as we speak.
4: Yes. Do you think,
3: you must believe, you've had more than your share? Come on, you know when it's shared out, the illnesses are shared out among everybody and nobody avoids it at some stage. Can you believe all you've had to deal with?
4: Actually, look, at you just get on with life, you know what I mean? There's not much you can do, really. It's, uh, you know, it's what's dealt to you, I suppose. But I'm a great believer in just, just being positive, I suppose. Now, there's lots of days I'm not too positive, you know, that, but you just have to get on with things. There's an awful lot of people out there that's an awful lot worse than other people, you know, mm-hmm. so... You just, just get
3: on with things. And- Hasn't this woman a great philosophy on life? And by the way, the reason she's here, she's keeping a diary since she was 15 years of age and I haven't even touched on that yet. We're going to talk about it in a couple of moments because we're heading to a break on late lunch. If you want to comment, if you want to send Mary Fitzsimons a message this afternoon, remember the numbers 086 1800 658. That is the text or WhatsApp number or you can call in now in 1850 715 958. More from Mary in a moment. Oh, I have a very special lady with me on late lunch today, Mary Fitzsimons. And do keep those messages coming to us about her. Oh eight six eighteen hundred six five eight by text or WhatsApp. Mary, listen to this. Mary is a brilliant inspiration to all of us. And we just want to say, we love her to bits, says Bernie. I should take it you know Bernie there. Another text is saying, May, that's your late ma'am, did... The flowers for my wedding, and Mary has the same talent as her mum with flowers. So oh, you do love you. the flowers, I do you? Yeah, thanks, yeah. So yeah. She wasn't telling me that. Thanks, texter, yeah. for letting me know that as well. The other thing I want to say about this woman: Do you know she's doing the cullen notes in the Drogheda Independent for the last twenty-nine years?
4: That's right, Jerry. Yeah, I started doing that. I don't know how I even um. Got that gig, really? To be honest, but uh, yeah, it's just um, you know, small news, little social stuff, yes. vignettes, what's on, yes. this, that, and That's the other. It, yeah. any scandal? Um, not that I'll tell you now, Jerry. <laughs> tell you off air.
3: <laughs> couldn't do that. You
4: just couldn't no, do that. I couldn't I, do that. To <laughs> the not people of at Cullen. all. I'm sure
3: you have plenty to write about. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't, we no matter where we live or where we come from. Now I want to come back when you went to Kazakhstan to uh, bring Ross home. You've been keeping diaries, as we all know, since you were 15 years of age and you wrote while you were out there. Would you read a little extract? I see it here beside you.
4: Would you read a little extract from the Kazakhstan trip, Mary? Yes. um, This is wrote on the day, Ross's adoption date, which is the 12th of July. Um, David, John and Mary were to become Ross's mother and father. Um, She then went, this is just about the court, you know, we were in court that day. Um, She then went on to, this is the judge, she then went on to say congratulations and we may kiss each other. So happy. Uh, Words just can't describe how we're feeling. Very weepy. Left the office and everyone hugging and congratulating us. Such a brilliant feeling. Can't stop crying. I am so happy. We waited so long for this day and now we are parents. Imagine I am a mother. I can't wait to ring Seamus Bridge and the lads.
3: Isn't that just lovely? The feelings, like, you know what I mean? You recorded that there and then. There's nothing to beat that. You know, we might have that in our mind or our memories,
4: but you have it written here in the story forever. Yes, I just think when you write things down, as I said, like, you know, they're there, they're always there. You can read back again on them and, you know, and as to say you can be feeling it, having a bad day and you can look back and then another day is great and yes. you know so it's just important it's good therapy mm. I feel writing listen so. to
3: this Mary Fitzsimons on Jerry Kelly so lucky to have this lady in our lives she oozes positivity and goodwill she is a ray of sunshine that comes in from your cousin Anne this afternoon. Oh, thanks, Mary Sam. is such a great person, Jerry. I know, I feel it. I knew it from last week when we talked to her. She does so much for charity. She's an inspiration to everybody from Davy and Mary Morgan. They've Aww, been in touch with us as well today to say hello to you. Thank you so much, everybody, for getting in touch. Keep them coming to us. She is absolutely wonderful. Now, Seamus, I know Seamus, your brother. He's yeah. a... Big football Imagine. man and yep. the halcyon days of Mattock Rangers. That's he was right. there. What yes. a great guy he is. Now, he had a very special b- birthday recently, hadn't he, in the yeah. recent past? Three,
4: three years ago, yeah. Yes, he yeah. had.
3: And, and yes. Quite recently, yeah. you know. Th- that, that, that big <laughs> end,
4: That um, There's a f-
3: couple of numbers in it. Anyway, uh, he was 60. Come on, let's get to the point. And um, what did you do? Tell us, you did something very interesting for him.
4: Yes, I um, I decided I'd get 60 memories done. Um, i get... Gathered together 60 friends, 60 people that was in his life from his first employer um, to friends he was at school with. And um, I got them all to write their memories of Seamus. So um, they all did, did that. So I had 60 memories. I got people in America, Australia, um, school pals and, um, you know, it was fantastic. It was fantastic for me because I was going to people and you know, I was having great chats with everyone and we got it all together and he was thrilled. With so, that. a
3: memory for every year. Have you a short one there? No, are they long or are they?
4: Uh, no, I haven't actually anywhere. but know. Okay. <laughs> that, that, you may ask him is about that. I'll, yeah, I'll have yeah, to get him yeah.
3: to, to talk about, <laughs> about that one as well. Um, now, here, they're, they're still coming. Mary loves to travel and we're heading off again in three weeks to. Italy. That comes in with love from the girls. I take it you know who the girls are. You do love to travel, I don't do. you? I
4: love to travel, yeah, it's brilliant, yeah. I love travelling. Um myself and the girls, uh, six of us, um we go travelling every year. We've been to New York, Budapest, Lisbon, all over Europe and mm. please God, now in a few weeks going to Milan.
3: You're one of the most popular people I've had here in a while. Listen to this. Dominic's been on to say, it's a testament to Mary's attitude and amazing powers of recovery that she was out hitting the draught in nightlife with us just six weeks after our operation back in 2011. There's no stopping that woman. She's such an amazing person. That's from Dominic this afternoon. And on they go for you. Oh, my God, you are popular. Fifteen, you started this diary and you've been consistent. You never dropped this. You've been keeping a diary ever since. Yeah, yeah. And, and, And even to today... Will, will you write about this? I will, absolutely. Will you? Yeah, of course I will. It's a oh, big day, Jerry. Oh, it's a big day for me. <laughs> I'm going to be in Mary for Simon's
4: Diary. Wow, I just
3: feel great about that, to be honest with you. Oh, ah, yeah. that's great yeah. to even no, think No, it's great. That,
4: it's you know. great. Just mm. even to write, you know, I was a bit nervous coming in or whatever. And then, you know, to say, oh, God, great, I did this. And, uh, you know, I'm just, you know, it just, you know, you just get on with things. And I just think. You know, you have to you have to follow your dreams, and you know, don't just don't dream it, just do it. Mm. You know,
3: travel. Where, where's your favourite spot? Where, where, where do you absolutely love? It? You have you said I'd I, I'd really like to visit there again? It's something I've spent place I have memories of. Where?
4: Um, well, one of my favourite places in Ireland is Inishbofin.
3: Beautiful. I love
4: Inishbofin. Yeah. That's in this country yeah. and abroad. Uh, I love Budapest and I love Lisbon.
3: Yeah. yeah you would you yeah. recommend both to Absolutely, visit yeah? Two yeah. lovely yeah, cities.
4: Fantastic cities. Yeah. Where are
3: you heading for in Italy? Have you? Um, Milan. Oh, lovely. Yeah, I was lovely. never there. So oh, my God. So that's going to be an, to an experience yeah. as well. It, is it true? Is it right? There's some other birthday significance this very day. This is a coincidence that you're here. Whose birthday yes, is it today? It's my
4: husband's birthday, David, today, and Happy my nephew, Dominic. Birthday, yeah. David.
3: I wonder is that the Dominic. That could be the Dominic that sent us that message. Is, is yeah,
4: it? Yeah, it's his birthday, too. My Good nephew, Dominic. Yeah. I've only Dominic. two nephews, Dominic and Karen and um, so yeah So the boys share
3: today. that birthday yeah. today Have you yeah. got
4: anything planned? Are you having a bit of a wing um, in the weekend or yes, anything? Yes, we'll no? celebrate the weekend Yeah, sure we'll we go out for a meal, Jerry, or something We will not let
3: it pass Something crosses my mind with you You have all these wonderful diaries, you have this amazing life story Look what you've come through and how inspirational you are I can feel it from you, I know the energy you have and look at the messages we're getting for you There's a book, there's a book here oh, There has to be <laughs> Come on, Mary
4: Ah, oh, yeah. Did it's you ever think about it? Did
3: anyone ever say that before? That with all that's happened to you in your life, surely you could put it together in a very nice story.
4: Yeah, well, I don't know, maybe, Yeah. It yeah. would be nice, yeah, I suppose. I yeah,
3: think it's something you yeah. should consider. Yeah. I'm just saying that to yes. you today.
4: Not, okay, not pressure on your thing, I'll ask you but to choose the book. Do You're write. first man at the boot launch. And if you do it,
3: <laughs> I will be there, and I'd love to do this for you. But I'm saying to you that with what you have, and you write lovely as well, I just see your writing there as well, and you have all these records over the years, you could work that in some way I, I, into your life story, I'm sure, as well. Anyway, that's for another day, but we've caught a little bit of you and a flavour for you today. Mary is an inspiration to all of us a mad auntie to boot. I love her to bits, says Kieran. Very nice. (laughs) Thank Thank you, you. Kieran. Thank you. (laughs) We're showering her with love today and why wouldn't we? Isn't she fantastic? Anyway, look, it's great to think that the little diary feature we did last week brought so many people, including you, to us and it's great to meet you on the show this afternoon. May I wish you good health. Happiness, joy for all of your life, and enjoy your next trip to Italy and whatever thanks. life brings to you. Jerry, thanks very much. You've inspired me, thanks and I'm so sure much. many people uh, listening today. For the moment, Mary Fitzsimons, thank you.
2: Thank you, Jerry. The late lunch with Blackstone Motors, Draughta, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used vehicles in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at BlackstoneMotors.ie.
3: If I could give this book a million stars, one for each tear I shed, I'd give, and one for each time I smiled at the beauty of the story. Isn't that just lovely? That's a flavour of the glowing reviews in the weeks since publication of The Lighthouse Keeper's Daughter. The latest surefire winner from the brilliant, best-selling, award-winning author Hazel Gaynor, who I'm delighted to say is back with me today on Late Lunch. It's so good to see you.
1: And you. Fabulous to be back.
3: Isn't that lovely? I just picked that one. There were so many and like it is only a week.
1: It is only a week. Yeah, unbelievably. And it's just, you know, you're always slightly nervous, you're excited and you're nervous when a new book goes out. So those early reviews mean absolutely everything, you know, so just how fabulous. And I'm just delighted that the book's already striking a chord. with It really is. Do you know
3: the way they have the five stars and they light up, you know, depending on whether you get a one, (laughs) two, three. (laughs) You see that? All five five are shining for you. Um, uh, Am I surprised? I'm not a bit surprised. Can I say this is brilliant, Anna? You don't make things straightforward for yourself, do you?
1: No, I don't. And every time I start a new book, I think, right, Hazel, let's just keep it simple this time you know let's not 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 over make life difficult for yourself but I I just love I love weaving stories together and and you know as a novelist you have that blank page and you can do what you want with that and I'm really drawn to you know different historic timelines and I love that sense of We all have an effect on somebody. We all leave a legacy behind. And that's why I'm really drawn to tell these dual narratives. So stories that, you know, The the Lighthouse Keeper's Daughter, partly set in 1838, partly set in 1938. So two wonderful um, periods of history where a lot was happening, particularly for women. Um, So my heroines, um, it's how their stories are linked together. And that generational connection, I I'm really fascinated by. So yeah, I'd always make life difficult yeah. for myself. So why wouldn't you?
3: <laughs> but she, you're brilliant at it. That mind of yours is just unbelievable. Grace Darling is the inspiration, let me say, for this book. And yes. she's from the the earlier time. Yes. It's been lolling round in your mind, or she has for a while, yes.
1: She has. I learnt about Grace Darling as a I think I would probably have been a ten year old girl sat in my small village schoolroom and just thought this was an amazing story this young woman who lived in a lighthouse with her family um, on the Farne Islands off the coast of Northumberland in England and she and her father rowed out in a horrific storm to rescue survivors of a shipwreck a paddle steamer and this wasn't something Victorian ladies did um, you know and, and her uh, bravery, her courage, just captured the imagination of Victorian society, and Grace became sort of a celebrity of her time. But very unwillingly, she just wanted to hide away in her lighthouse. She loved the isolation that that life gave her, and I was just fascinated by her. Um, and she's one of those people that, as a writer now, I'm I'm just went back to to try and understand her and to find out more about her story and who was the real person. I mean, what a fabulous name, Grace Darling. You literally could not make it up. I don't think people would have believed me if I'd made it up. No,
3: no, and it is a real and it is a true story. You say the story finds the writer. Tell us about that trip to your sisters in Northumberland. This was meant to be, wasn't it? It
1: absolutely was. And I really do believe the story finds the writer. So I'd been mulling about, should I write a story about Grace Darling? But wasn't sure where to start. And I went to visit my sister who lives in Northumberland in the area. And we were in a beautiful town called Annick. Annick Castle is very famous for the Harry Potter movies. That's where a lot of those scenes were filmed. And we were in this incredible secondhand bookshop, which is one of the largest in Europe. And I turned to my sister and I said, this is amazing. I wonder if there'd be a book in here about Grace Darling. And she said, well, there, there must be. If it isn't in here, where would it be? And I turned to my right and there was this tiny little small slim book and I picked it up and it was called Grace Darling, Heroine of the Far Niles, written in 1874. So I said that is coming home with me put it in the bag and that's where I started to and write And so story. we
3: had the conception of the lighthouse keeper's daughter yeah. in that moment. Yeah. Amazing amazing. Now she's on this side of the Atlantic. Mm. Take us over to the States and a hundred years on.
1: Yeah, so researching Grace's story, I uncovered this, to me, sort of unknown history of female lighthouse keepers. And particularly in America, a lot of women were tending the lights, um, which you'd assume it was quite a male Mm. occupation. It's very physical. It's very demanding. Um, And whilst the husbands and uh, the men of the family went away, the women would take over. And a lot of women stayed on as what would have been called a principal lightkeeper. Um, And all of that history led me to discover this lady called Ida Lewis, who was known as America's Grace Darling. And she, similarly to Grace, was known for these heroic rescues of of people around her lighthouse. Um, And that's what took me to Newport, Rhode Island, where Ida lived in a lighthouse. And she inspired this uh, eccentric Irish woman, Harriet Flatty, who is uh, sort of a, a foil, I suppose, for, for Grace Darling. So Grace is 100 years earlier. And then we moved to Newport, Rhode Island. And it's how the two stories are interlinked and the connections between them. Mm, oh, my so, God. Yeah.
3: I don't know how you do this, but you do it so <laughs> brilliantly. But here's the thing about both those characters you mentioned and the main characters and the inspiration for the book. Yeah. They're very one-dimensional, historically. You don't know an awful lot about them, but here you've gone and, you know, you've developed them, haven't you? Their characters.
1: Yeah, and this, you see, for somebody, for example, with Grace Darling, and you, you read about her from the time. so a lot of newspaper reporters were fascinated by her and wrote this account of her bravery. But what I want to know when I read about these people is, well, what was really going on? You know, what was she really thinking and feeling? Um, And there was a suggestion that Grace fell in love with a young man who was sent to the lighthouse to paint her portrait because obviously we didn't have photographs then. Nobody knew what this amazing woman looked like. Um, And there is this tantalising suggestion in her story that there was this very, um, you know, romantic woman sort of trapped between the duty of being a good daughter and helping her father and, and wanting to have her own life. And that's a lot of what I explore is, you know, for women in those periods of history they didn't have choice a lot of the time, you know, duty over desire. Um, And, and, you know, how lucky we are now as women, we get to choose, we get to do, we get to do it all. Um, And these women didn't. So I was really fascinated by this heroic young woman, but actually quietly in love with somebody, but not able to do anything about it. And that's where the novelist's imagination takes over. um, And you weave in this, you add colour to those black and white sort of stuffy books and pictures and these people, I hope when readers read the books, these people come to life, you know, and it's like we're reading about a, a woman now, mm. it's just she happens to wear a long skirt and carries a candle Um but so you know, I think you, you
3: mentioned like y- y- your imagination and, mm. and the way the writer brings it to life. But I know this, you're a stickler for doing your primary research. You really have yeah. gone to great lengths, which you always do with these characters, to yeah. research them, to give you a complete feel. I'll tell you how much she goes and the length she goes to to immerse herself. Tell us about staying in the lighthouse and you dragged the better half and the children along as well. I
1: did, yeah. So, you know, I do like to immerse myself in the story. So we went to stay in Wicklow Head Lighthouse. You can go and stay. We stayed for a weekend Um, and it's this 18th century enormous stone tower, quite imposing Um, Hadn't told my husband or the kids where we were going. They thought we were going to a B&B for the weekend. (laughs) Drove down this country road and they're like, we're staying there? You're mad. And it was absolutely, it was amazing. I mean, you can see why lighthouse keepers just became so passionate about their job. They're really, there's something quite romantic about lighthouses. They're very um, mystical in some kind of way. And you turn everything off. There was no Wi-Fi. The kids were like, what? (laughs) No Wi-Fi. Just looking out at the coast. And it was absolutely wonderful, I have to say. And I did some of my, I was reading a lot of books about um, Ida Lewis and Grace Darling and the female lighthouse keepers while I was there. What I didn't know at the time, thankfully, because I wouldn't have gone near the place, there are 109 steps from where you walk in up to the galley kitchen at the top. Now I know that those steps are haunted by a headless woman. And did you see anything while
3: while you were there? I didn't.
1: I didn't see any. And I... If anybody knows me, I, if, if there's a suggestion of a haunting, I go nowhere near it. So if you're listening and you'd like to <laughs> go and visit Wicklowhead, but it's just full of atmosphere. So actually yeah. now I know that, mm. I'm not surprised. Um, it's, I don't know what the story is. There's another book maybe. Why she lost her head, who knows? Um, but it was amazing. And I also went over to America to Newport, you did, Rhode didn't Island. did, not you? Yeah. And you
3: did similar yeah. over there yeah. to yeah. get a feel for it on the other side Absolutely. as well.
1: And it's really important to me, you know, now, I want readers to really get immersed in the book and really feel like they're walking with my characters. You know, it shouldn't feel like it's in the past. It should feel like it's happening now. And it's, it's really important to me to, as much as I can, within reason, um, yeah, sort of go and walk those steps and understand what that feels like to be stuck in it a tower, you know, with nothing else around you. It's quite a strange experience. It's
3: marvellous. You're going to see this book among the bestsellers within the next week or two. It's going to be there in the bestsellers list. Check it out, I promise you. I can see it in the future. Imagine having a copy of this signed by Hazel Gaynor herself. Well, I have a copy to give away and Hazel's going to sign it for me. How can you win it? It's a simple question. Related to the theme of the book, what's the name of the lighthouse off the coast of Scaries? Right beside us here, what's the name of the lighthouse House off the coast of Scaries. What is it? Tell me, please. 086 1800 658 by text or WhatsApp, and we'll pick a winner before the end of the show. Hazel Gaynor's Staying With Me. Go Nowhere. Now, just to come back to the book for the moment, because tell us who's with you here today. You have brought a couple of friends. I
1: have brought a couple of friends, yeah. I have my my publicists, which sounds very grand altogether, um, from Collins. so uh, Kira and Emily, who have been with me all day today and holding my hand, so it's fabulous to have you here. And
3: Kira mentioned something in the break. Is see, you never miss an opportunity. And she was just talking about women lighthouse keepers in the era yeah. and, you know, what they had to go through, what they had to wear.
1: Yes, yes. So, I mean, we forget, you know, we think we're not just all going to be in our jeans and our Doc Martens. So full, full you know, corsets and, and dress, full-length dress, stepping into a lifeboat, rowing around in heaving seas. I mean, it's just, it's not easy, is it? And this is why I think these women were fabulous. I mean, they were made of pretty strong stuff mm. to be able to step up and i think we sometimes think you know Victorian women in particular were prone to fainting and a fit of the vapors all the time but not at all and this you know these women that i discovered i think i love telling their stories i love introducing them to people who like me weren't maybe aware of them because i think mm. they they need to be talked about and
3: absolutely yeah. and, c- and and celebrated and for what they what they did and went through themselves and of course in this book there's another twist because a young irish girl is expecting a baby. Can you imagine yeah, can you at imagine. the time? And yeah. America at that stage was life. You are gone for life. Yeah. And she was gone over there. Oh, my God, it's intriguing. There are so many twists and turns. I'm not going to tell you any more because if I do, I'll just destroy this <laughs> wonderful
5: book. You have
3: to get this book. You have to buy it. You have to read it and enjoy it. it yeah, is. we
1: actually start, uh, the book opens in uh, Cove, mm. um, where my young Irish girl Matilda is is leaving on a transatlantic liner in, in 1938. She's found herself in a different difficult situation. And and off she goes to literally be sent away to live in a lighthouse with this reclusive relative. And and that's where she discovers this past connection um, to this iconic Lady Grace darling so yeah. you're
3: great I say it again you really <laughs> are great
1: or slightly mad I'm absolute. not I'm not sure which at this stage so we all <laughs> have to have a little
3: bit of that in our social <laughs> lives. life's not worth living as they say look a couple of other things how is your motoring going this weather <laughs> what about the mini well Cooper? this
1: my poor mini uh, George <laughs> and, well George I had in London years ago and Bob was the new one who uh, who went to mini heaven as far as I'm aware what So happened? yeah he blew up on me on the end you
3: hadn't got it long had you no I
1: had him maybe a year and uh, I love the way you had him because
3: the boys say her the car's female in our dialect uh... it's male with you I see that yeah subtle difference I
1: keep saying I'm gonna I'm gonna get another mini one day I just Mm. I'm not really I'm not a petrol head at all and uh, although I love the formula one now my my boys have got me into the formula one but I just really wouldn't be bothered about cars but mini a mini cooper there's something about them Um, and my husband is six foot two and he's a big lad and it, he wouldn't be fitting very well in a Too mini
5: well so he'd be like, a bump in the roof you know
1: we, and we, my kids are gonna my my eldest is nearly 13 he's bigger than he's taller than me already right. so he's gonna be they're both gonna be that so i'm gonna have three big lads and me in this mini so just for the fun of it i think yeah. do you know what
3: you do just get it for yourself and don't let them into it you just, <laughs> it's That's
1: yours the way. exclusively
3: yeah. as yeah. simple as that yeah did I eat somewhere? Did you lose your? Was it your engagement or wedding ring you lost? It
1: <laughs> was my engagement ring. What happened? Would you believe I lost it in a duck pond? <laughs> no way!
2: What were you doing? I
1: can laugh about it now. I was with Sam, who was a little toddler at the time. We were feeding the ducks. We were throwing bread to the ducks as you do. It was a cold February day, and my hands were cold. That's the only explanation I can offer. My hands were cold. And I threw a piece of bread and my ring flew off my finger and landed. It was in the canal basin in Nace near the library. Uh, it's not there anymore, I'm sure. <laughs> and it flew off. This was oh, years ago, 10 years ago, at least. We're 14 years married this November. And this is about 10 years ago. And uh, there it was, Gone absolutely gone and i just to this day it makes me go cold oh, i was no. you know what, what are you going to do jump in after it
3: your husband came down well, damien
1: he? Did, <laughs> he went down god bless him with a sort of fishing net and a dredging thing that he'd fat made up and he was trying to get it I, I mean we didn't find it i got a new a new engagement ring appeared in the ice tray in the freezer that christmas eve <laughs> I was asked ah. to get ice for a gin.
3: Oh, the old romantic. The old romantic. Oh, the young romantic, should I say. Sorry, and of I
1: course, didn't... I turned around and said, I'm busy, you get the ice for the gin. And <laughs> <laughs> he said, no, I think you should get the ice for the gin. And, there was a and new by English. the
3: way, did you see the story a year later where a jock was found with a ring around its
1: foot? <laughs> no, did you not see that story in the,
3: in the Times?
1: <laughs> no, did you miss it's that a one? a very expensive duck. <laughs> 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 They're very posh ducks in Nace, I tell you. They walk around with diamonds on their feet. <laughs> Oh, I swear. Uh, it's a, we laugh about it now. I tell you yeah. what, I did not laugh. <laughs> that
3: much I, I'm the time. sure. Oh, my God, it means so much
1: Sam to Sam still tells that story. He's now 11. He says, Well, I was feeding the ducks with <laughs> mum, and her engagement ring flew
3: Parted company. <laughs> Look, I, I know I mentioned this, yeah, and it's uh, quite an obvious one. You're away again. You're working. There's, yes. There's another one. Yes. Yeah, and you try yeah. to—is it? You try to hit it with one a year. Are you working with somebody?
1: Yes, yes. On the next one. Yeah. So Heather Webb, who's a very dear friend of mine, uh, an author who lives in the states, hence my trip over to Newport, Rhode Island. We wrote a book together, which was published last year, called "Last Christmas in I Paris." Spoke to you. You did indeed, and we had such a great time working together. And we are doing it again. So we're working on a novel called Meet Me in Monaco, which is inspired by the wedding of Grace Kelly to Prince Rainier. Um, And actually tomorrow is the anniversary of Grace, well, Princess Grace, as she was then, her death. Um, So we've, we've, um, again, used a, a real historic event and her life as the setting and inspiration for our fictional characters who are involved in the wedding in different ways. So that's coming out next summer.
3: Do you know when I was a baby... A little tiny fella. My mum has passed away and dad, but my mum told me this. She came calling she, to the hospital in Drogheda and I was introduced to her no as way. a three-day-old.
1: That's amazing, because I know she was isn't in that, Ireland. Isn't yeah. that
3: amazing? And last yeah. year, her son, uh, the current prince... Yeah. Only half a mile from where you sit here, they've opened a special rose garden to her memory just oh, down the road here wow. to Princess Grace. Isn't that's that something That's amazing. Else? Just a little coincidence there. That's incredible. A, a, as you mentioned that today. Yeah, yeah she has yeah. links with with this neck of the woods for yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, well, they were obviously very yeah. proud of the Irish yes, um, connection they in the were. family. So, so that's next, Another fascinating next woman.
3: On the claw, uh, that's on that, the floor, they That will be coming say. out
1: next uh, yeah. summertime and then I'm starting to work on a, another idea for my next... Hazel Gainer novel. She's brilliant. Will you come back? Of course I will come back. My
3: door is always open for you. The lighthouse keeper's daughter, folks. Hazel Gainer. It's brilliant. I recommend it highly. And if you'd like a copy today, what's the name of the lighthouse? Off the Scary's Coast. 086 1800 658. Signed by Hazel. Until the next time. It's been my pleasure again.
2: Thank you so much. The late lunch with Blackstone Motors Drahada, your local Renault selection dealer with over 250 quality used vehicles in stock. There's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie.
3: It hasn't gone away, you know, and that's the words that sum it up. Death, we've talked about it from time to time on Late Lunch, heard your personal stories, and we're going to talk about it again today with a woman who is in a position to help you if you're struggling out there. Rosalind Doherty from the Financial Foundation is with us today on Late Lunch. Rosalind, good to see you again. Thank, Thank you, Jerry. Thank, Thank you it. for joining me. I want to start with something uh, that was brought to my attention. Personal insolvency practitioners, PIPs as they're known. Yes, Jerry. Uh, many people uh, in the financial are now accredited as a PIP that you go to if you're in difficulty. Yes. You want to caution people about who you go to. Why? uh,
5: The majority of our customers have tried to go to PIPs before. um, They've got a restructure through us. Basically, when you deal with a PIP, you're dealing with um, creditors that need to approve all your the restructure. 68% of the creditors need to approve it before it's sanctioned. So a lot of proposals are failing at the moment. Now, as I said, customers have attended PIPs. They've got nowhere with them. They've tried for maybe 12 months and no restructure has been offered. They come to me. It's a matter of completing out the financial statement and submitting it into the bank and a restructure is offered then. I I don't think the PIPs are are working too well in Ireland at the moment. Um, They're governed by the Department of Justice. And basically, you can qualify as a PIP within four or five days. Um whereas myself going through the central bank took me almost eighteen months between qualifications and uh, getting the application through and everything there was a lot more i a lot more rigorous you know yes. regulations put on us um I have not had one customer who's who's had a good experience with a pip so far
3: but with you, you have and and you've succeeded with people that have failed to have any progress that's what you're saying to me today
5: absolutely absolutely.
3: Yes, that's disappointing to hear that, isn't it? Because that was set up by the government as a mechanism to help people and free them from this burden. Yes,
5: and the government are funding a lot of PIPs as well and, and paying commissions. You know, when when deals are going, if deals are going through, um, but in my eyes and in customers' eyes, it's not working. It's not working at the moment. Uh, also. If you go into an arrangement with a PIP for 800 a month, the PIP may keep 600 of that and put 200 towards your debt. Now, I've had customers who thought the full 800 was going towards their debt. And then at the end of the year, when they saw their their statement coming in, they realised only 200 euro of their payment Why was going. Why would
3: the PIP keep 600 of it? That eight? is
5: their payment. That is their payment. Per Pay- month? Per month. yes. Yes um other customers have paid twenty five twenty six thousand over the course of five or six years um when entering into arrangements with pips so that will go on until they they come out of the arrangement at that time but yeah you could you could pay twenty five thirty grand over the course of five years to, to an insolvent practitioner. That's not pra- good. That
3: really is not no. good. Should, that is not sorting out this issue at all. It's putting a heaping more problems on people who are in very vulnerable positions.
5: Absolutely. And my opinion is that if there is cash, it should be going towards the debts, towards the family home, to keep the people in their home rather than paying paying for it on a monthly basis. I, I,
3: I couldn't agree with you. I'm sure most people listening today wouldn't uh, agree either. Okay, so word of caution on on the pips. Vulture funds, we're hearing about them all the time. You've obviously been dealing with financial institutions. Now the vulture funds are in the picture. Yes. What's your take on vulture funds?
5: There are good and bad vulture funds I suppose. Um, I think about 44,000 people over the the course of the last three to four weeks from several different banks including Ulster Bank, Permanent TSB, have received these letters out of the blue to say their their mortgages are now being sold on to vulture funds. One that's been banded around a lot is Start Mortgages. Um, Start Mortgages would have been a prime lender, subprime lender. 10 to 15 years ago and they would have taken really the hardcore cases, people that couldn't qualify for mortgages. So they would charge 14, 15, 16% interest at the time um, and and permanent TSB have specifically banded about 10,000, 14,000 mortgages and transferred them over to start mortgages. Now, Going forward, that's who I will have to do on behalf of these customers. Permanent ESB will be cut out of the picture completely.
3: Somebody said to me, now this is a bit of hearsay as well, that, uh, you know, in a way, vulture funds can be better to deal with, that they'll cut to the chase and they'll deal with you where banks previously were just kicking the can down the road.
5: Sometimes it, it all depends. As I said, there are good and bad vulture funds um, to deal with the start mortgages. I would find now where the permanent TSB loans have transferred; to, they are more open to doing a restructure. The other vulture fund that I would be very wary of is Promontoria Stroke Link, where the Ulster Bank accounts are being transferred. Promontoria are are they're, they're more like they want the houses. They want the houses. They would. That they don't want to do restructures. They want the families out and the houses sold. Now, unfortunately, they have to stick to certain regulations. This is all going through the dole at the moment as well that, you know, the, the vulture funds, they, they need to behave themselves. They can't come in and just repossess homes. They have to follow certain procedures. So when I'm appointed and I'm dealing with these vulture funds, I make sure they follow the process every step of the way, that they can't just jump in with repossessions. They can't just jump in and drag people into court and treat them like criminals because they've fallen on hard times.
3: That's good to hear. In a general sense, give us the feel. You know, people think Ireland 2018, it's 10 years here, we're (laughs) celebrating 10 years, it's celebrating, marking 10 years since the crash. Uh, A decade has gone by, the country has picked up again. Mm. You know, house building this new agency, they're trying to get more houses out into the market. Prices have gone up and up and up in recent times. The debt hangover, is it significant still?
5: It is Massive, absolutely massive. There are still 120,000 people in this country that are are in massive arrears on the mortgage, from a thousand euro to a hundred thousand euro. This is the, these are the figures we see coming in every day. But no matter how bad the situation is, no matter how bad your arrears are, a bank is always still open to to looking at doing a restructure. Believe it or not, I you know we all think the banks are bad and they're out to get us, and that the, the last thing any lender wants to do is kick a family out onto the street. And if there is the chance or the possibility of doing a restructure, they will look at that.
3: Interest-only mortgages, Mm. is that the ticking time bomb that's suspected?
5: Well, apparently there's about 3 million interest-only mortgages in Ireland at the moment, which would all be like investment properties. 3 so million mortgages? 3 million um mortgages, which are about to expire over, I think, by the year 2024. So, we could have a huge band of people, maybe in their 60s, that have uh, like a massive balloon payment at the end of these mortgages. They're all going to have to be restructured as well, or the properties will have to be sold if, they're, if they have come back back up into positive equity.
3: You mentioned an age there, 60s, 70s. Are people saddled with debt when, at a time of their lives when they should be enjoying their retirement?
5: Absolutely. I have a lot of customers, 72, 73, who may have been burdened with debt, um, through borrowing for family members. Um, I have one particular family that have, they owe about 300,000 on their family home, 72 years of age, where they should be enjoying their lives at this stage and their, their pensions and every single penny they are trying to put towards their mortgage at the moment. It's, it's absolutely horrendous. They're afraid to turn on the heating, um, because they know they're going to be short for their mortgage then the following month. It, it, it's its horrendous. Now, in the case of people who are in that situation at that age, I would nearly look at mortgage to rent for them. Um, basically, where they surrender the house to the county council, they pay a, a weekly rent rather than a mortgage company chasing after them for the rest Mm. of their days for a debt they're never going to be able to afford to pay.
3: Is the message today that no matter how bad the situation is, if you're sitting at home today and you're trying to hide this, you know, not opening the letter, staying away from it, not engaging with the bank, there is hope?
5: Absolutely. No matter how bad your situation is. I had one particular customer who stopped paying his mortgage for six years through really bad personal circumstances that happened. And we got him a restructure last year. The bank was still open to, to looking at doing a deal for him, a hundred grand of arrears, six years of non-payment, and they still gave him a restructure. Once we got him back on track, 12 months of repayments, the bank said, okay, the proof is in the pudding. He's paid what we have proposed each month. Let's put a restructure in. They'd much rather restructure an account. As I said, then kick a family out onto the street.
3: Want to take a short break? Rosalind is staying with me. Rosalind Doherty from the Financial Foundation. And we're going to talk about a couple of specific cases when we come back. If you want to comment, join in the conversation, have something to say about this, always love to hear from you. 086 1800 658 by text or WhatsApp. Or you can call in now on 1857 15958. Rosalind Doherty from the Financial Foundation is with us on late lunch this afternoon. Let me read um, um, one of the cases you dealt with just for listeners today and then maybe you would take us through it. Uh, our client had been trying to deal with arrears of 68000 on a mortgage of 290000 Their lender had commenced legal proceedings and was demanding repossession of the family home. The contractual monthly payment, including arrears, was 1150 a month and following an offer of a split mortgage the client is now paying 640 a month, oh my god, that's some difference on £174,000 and 116000 is to be warehoused with no more arrears. Now, that warehousing, where yes. do you stand on that?
5: At the moment, I find it's the best solution to keep a family in their home. So if we say that that mortgage has been reduced from 1150 to 640 per month and 116,000 warehoused away, which means the customer is only paying on 174,000. Now, in effect, there's still like a balloon payment at the, at the end, end of that mortgage. So we say that customer, that they've both. They're about 70 years of age now. The kids have grown up, flown the nest. They have a four-bed house. They could, at that stage, downsize and pay off that residual debt. But the bank will never come and chase them for it until, A, they downsize... Or they pass away and the house is left, you know, to be, to be sold off. So it's a very, very secure arrangement for, for customers. It's reviewed every five years. But basically, if there's no change in circumstances, the bank will let that lump sum sit in the warehouse. No interest being accumulated on it. It's, to me, it's like an an imaginary figure just sitting there, never going to affect the customer until the mortgage expires at the age of 70. But Mm. that's when solutions can be looked at then. when the customer downsizes at that stage. So that is an
3: option for those people. Look, at some difference, nearly double the repayments there. You know, you're having the repayments, should I say. So those people can sleep easy. It's manageable. They're not going to be kicked out of their home and they have a situation they can live and work with.
5: They can live and work. They They can turn, they're not afraid to turn on the heating. They're not afraid to go shopping. They're not afraid to, you know, go to the cinema. All these little things that people like to do, they're afraid to do because it will show up on their bank statements and they don't want the banks to know they've been enjoying their life lives. In effect, the bank wants you to sit at home and look at your four walls and pay your mortgage. That's it. They don't want you to have any kind of social life or enjoyment. And that's
3: not possible. We all have to live. We
5: have to live. Of course, you have to live. Yes. Mm.
3: Here's a, a comment from a listener. Hi, Jerry. When you sign a contract for your mortgage with a bank and you're not in arrears, how come banks can break that contract and pass you over to one of these vulture
5: funds? I
3: can't understand that. Does signing a contract with a bank not mean anything?
5: to me this is something that the central bank really really needs to look at because we see the likes of charlie weston um a very well known business reporter who who was in the sunday papers one day never in arrears paid his mortgage for 25 years and it was sold to a vulture fund like that person that like that me person there. no choice in the matter whatsoever he never defaulted never missed a payment was never late and his mortgage was sold so the banks they seem to have too much control and too much power. To me, it should all be like regulated. The central bank needs to step in, have a look at this. Why are banks picking and choosing performing mortgages? to sell
3: off. It doesn't make sense uh, and, and, you know, that is is a big issue. It's an issue for the politicians in this country, the legislature and, of course, the central bank and all the people who... And
5: the people who are suffering. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
3: absolutely. Um, Listen to this one. this surprises me, this case you brought to me, because there's not a big amount of money involved here. What a difference a year makes. Uh, This person came to you with a mortgage of 107000 and a small level of arrears, only 9000 arrears. The lender was the Demanding either repossession of the family home or a repayment of fourteen hundred and ninety-four euro a month. Oh my God, that's massive! Following the restructure of the account, they've agreed to accept a monthly repayment of eight twenty-four, and uh, they've offered the clients a long-term restructure. Yes. Now that that to me for you know for nine thousand arrears.
5: Absolutely. Whether you're a thousand euro in arrears or a hundred thousand in arrears, you're going to be treated exactly the same way. You'll still get the same civil bills, the repossession orders, the orders to go to courts. All this will still go on in the background. It doesn't make a difference, the amount of arrears. Once you're in arrears, you're treated exactly the same way.
3: That's ridiculous, isn't
5: it? It, it is. It is. crazy. And your
3: intervention there, well, that makes sense. 824 as against 1494, just a bit of a longer term involvement, a yeah, restructure there.
5: It, That's it. It's only a matter of maybe restructuring the term, asking the bank to reduce the interest rate. Like that particular lady could have been on 5 or 6%. We might have got it reduced down to 3%, extended out the term, and capitalised those massive arrears of 9,000 euro back into the mortgage. So, but this particular vulture fund. They were hungry for homes this time last year. and uh, No matter what we were offering this time last year, it was, no, 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 we want the customer out of the house, we want to sell the house. Um, the, the, the story behind that post is that in a year, they have done a complete U-turn. U-turn on it. Complete U-turn. Bernie, yeah.
3: has a question for you. Jerry and Rosalind, we missed two payments on our mortgage, €1,600. Euro. Our mortgage has now been sold to a vulture fund. If we pay what's owed, can we stay with the TSB? No.
5: No, unfortunately, they have just taken a glut of names and, and passed them over and sold them on um, performing and non-performing loans. Now, they, they did promise they weren't going to move performing loans. I have customers who've never been in arrears and they've got letters recently to say their mortgage has been sold sold on start mortgage. So, yes, we don't have any choice. The banks, again, as I said, have too much control, too much power. They can pick and choose to do what they want to do.
3: Our clients uh, came to us just before Christmas. And had been trying to deal with arrears of fifty-one thousand on a mortgage of two hundred and seventy-three thousand. Their lender again commenced legal proceedings and wanted the home. This is all the time wanted to p- repossess the home. Uh, now uh, the difference is uh, the uh, monthly payment was one two eight five per month. Following a restructure, it's eight forty. So one two eight five it was struggling with it in trouble with arrears. Now eight forty. Yes. The- they're sorted.
5: Yes, absolutely. Again, with that particular case, it was an uh, interest rate reduction. Because when I get in all the facts and figures from the lenders, and I see that charging customers 5 and 6% interest, and then we see other customers who are on 1% interest, you know, it makes more sense for the bank to still earn something by reducing the interest rate down to 3 3.5%. But it makes a massive difference to the mon- monthly payment for the customer.
3: It really does. Listen, we could go on and on, and the samples you brought us are fascinating. <laughs> you're doing a great job, and I know you're passionate about it, and you love. I love it. People. I love it. Yeah. If people listening today would like to find out more about the financial foundation, how
5: just check out www.thefinancialfoundation.ie. ie. Go on, have a look at our Facebook page. Um, I'm based up in Lawrence Street and draw, but deal with customers nationwide because everything can be done by phone, email, post, um, and the number is 041 9835710. Um, available for a chat at any stage. Thank you
3: for joining me You're today. I've awesome. enjoyed our conversation. It's been eye-opening and enlightening. I'll talk to you again soon. Rosalind Doherty right. from the Financial Foundation. Thank you.
5: Thank you, Jerry. The Late Lunch
2: with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used vehicles in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at BlackstoneMotors.ie.
3: My next guest on Late Lunch today is Tracy O'Connor. She's co-founder of Corporate Wellness and she's a one-spirit interfaith minister and Look, I'm going to tell you the story here because this is fairly important. I was at Dip in the Nip on Sunday and I met Sarah Nick She was dipping. And if you remember, Sarah, uh, she was one of our womenhood opinions for many years. And she said to me, I have a really special lady that I want you to meet. And she said her name is Tracy O'Connor. And uh, lo and behold, on Monday, the little email came through with Tracy's number on it. I rang Tracy and Tracy. maybe you'd take up the story for there. I invited you to join me on late lunch. You couldn't yesterday. Why was that?
6: That's right. Hi, Jerry. Hey, Thanks welcome. for having me on. Um, I couldn't yesterday. We were speaking on Tuesday. Mm. I was in London yesterday. Yes, OK. And and, and, and it was very it, definite I couldn't yeah, come. She said, listen,
3: I'll come in to you on Thursday. I can get in around three o'clock. I said, so come in for a chat on Thursday. And that was it. But about ten minutes later, my phone rang, folks. And Tracy's back on. I said, oh, she's cancelling Thursday now. That was my first thought. You know me, old negative Nelly, to think about that. Not a bit of it. Tell them what you said to me.
6: I said, what about Peter Owens? I think he'd be great for tomorrow. Let me see if he's free.
3: There isn't she sharp? Isn't our Tracy just a sharp one? She listened to what I had to say and says, have you a vacancy on Wednesday, which I still had at that stage? And you met him yesterday. He was on the show, The Wonderful Peter Owens, 83 years young, with his first book of poetry to be published. Now, here's the thing with you. Tell me this. Did this all happen for a reason, those sequences of uh, of events? Or is it just pure accident?
6: Well, I believe it happened for a reason. Some people might think that, yes, it's all an accident. But part of me thinks that it's divinely guided, you heard Peter yesterday and how he speaks and how mystical he is and how humble he is. He's been meditating for a long time. And so there's a sense of connection with the divine. And when you're in that flow, when you're fully connected to yourself, when you're in your body, I teach meditation, that's how it came across Peter. When you're fully in your body and not in your just in your head, you're in the flow um, of connection to all that is. So you're in a... Um, you're, you're divinely guided, you're inspired and you're listening to the, the messages that you're getting. So I'm like, oh, it's Peter. Peter needs to be on tomorrow, not me. There you go. So that's why all this happened
3: and why you're here with us today. Possibly. And, you know, you know things like as well, yesterday morning I was in the office and myself and Sinead were talking about somebody who we hadn't been um, referencing or in, uh, had with us for a long, long time. And would you believe this? In the next minute, there was a little bink on my phone And that very person sent me a message.
6: Yeah, come what on! The, what that? What's that all about? That
3: happens to me quite regular, you know. Oh, with things. you're
6: in the flow, so Jerry. I? Yeah, you must be. Am I connected? You're connected. <laughs> oh, it's
3: good to hear. good to know. This it's action. all
6: about connecting yeah. the dots. That's mm. where I come from mm. as well. Now, look at you
3: worked at the very top in the corporate world. I mentioned the the world's biggest advertising agency, BBDO. They were founded a long, long time ago in New York, and they are huge. And you were a high flyer with them.
6: Yes. Yeah, I worked in the European headquarters for nine years. In Paris and London,
3: that must have been a challenge. Well, Paris and London is a little <laughs> bit of a, a help, I'm sure, as well. But seriously, long hours, tough call, busy. It actually,
6: you know, I was in my twenties, right. so I was full of energy and and uh, expression and and determination, and I was connecting the dots between a lot of different agencies. So it wasn't necessarily a stressful job in in that sense. We were working hard and playing hard for sure. Yeah, you know. But the more stressful part was the hands-on advertising when it came back to Ireland. I was working in advertising then. And it's the deadlines. Whereas the deadlines on the European level, because it's so global, are a lot more extended, okay. possibly. Um, so the shorter the deadlines, the the more stress, I
3: mm. think. So it was tougher here when you back. It got was tougher
6: here, for sure. To yeah. the homeland, to the yeah. mothership. Yeah. How long did you
3: work at this for and when did you decide to say goodbye to it?
6: Um probably about 20 years in all working mm. in it. And it was around the turn of the millennium <laughs> okay. that I decided to say goodbye. I was just turning 30. And something was just, it was so distra- I Something was telling me, you need to stop, you need to move on, there's something more. And I had already started to study a, a diploma in psychology and counselling for my own benefit. <laughs> to stop me going mad Um, I remember taking a week off holidays because I had to I actually couldn't have a conversation without bursting into tears you know it was so stressful. Took a week off did some alternative therapy I remember going to Glendalough and just connecting with nature and just breathing and just connecting to nature which I hadn't really allowed myself the time to do because everything was so time pressured Mm. and when i came back to work they told me they replaced me with six people but anyway <laughs> so it was a little bit stressful
0: <laughs>
3: my god doesn't that just sum it up
0: you say
3: and these are your own words you've and these, this is what you say about yourself finding her way home to herself yeah is that what you did
6: yeah what do you mean by that it was a, it was a journey so i believe everybody has a journey um we're born we're we're as babies we're totally connected to the source, to divine. They're so pure, so full of love. And then throughout the course of our life, we have experiences that knock us off kilter, that make us think that the world isn't a completely loving place and we have to guard ourselves against further pain or whatever it is, everybody has a story. So I think the the thing of coming home to ourselves is really coming back into alignment with the purity of who we are and the core of our heart, um, the purity of the love that we have for each other, being able to connect with ourselves, with each other and with nature um, to find that balance and that harmony that we can. And the other know,
3: harmony is work, because you have to earn a crust.
6: <laughs> like yes, can, absolutely. Can, uh, yeah, there time.
3: are people who tell you they call true life and they, they, they muddle true and they, they manage as well. But for most people, you know, work is it, it produces yeah. the few absolutely
6: euros absolutely. that keep you
3: going incorporating that with what you've just said there mm-hmm. now, is is that a key?
6: Oh, yeah, absolutely. You have to be grounded, especially in the, you know, when you're working in a spiritual environment. The most important thing for me is being grounded and being realistic and being able to pay the bills. Um, so what I do myself is I found... What I'm good at is meditation. Um, I did a a course as an interfaith minister, studied for two years in London. Um, So I do ceremonies um, and I go into the corporate space as well. So I have a mixture of different... Um, areas of income, I suppose, yes. if I can balance. Yes, but, but you
3: identified a skill that you have in particular and something you have a passion for and you love and you believe in.
6: Yeah, that's the most important. that's what
3: you've developed for yourself.
6: Because it's hard to come, when we come back to ourselves, when we on that journey of coming back to ourselves, it's hard to remember what our true talents are because we've spent so long being told maybe this is what you should be doing. <laughs> so we've become to, we come to believe that. So the journey of undoing the conditioning and perhaps what other people have told us about ourselves that we've become to believe it's who are we really? <laughs> yes. That's the journey.
3: That's the big question. The other uh, circle to complete, you've the physical part of our uh, being and our health, emotional health, our mental health. We hear an awful lot about it today. Very, very important as well. There's one aspect missing, you believe, which is?
6: Yeah, spiritual health. And that completes the I picture. think that holds everything together. Because we've, yeah, as you say, physical health, we've learned to go to the gym, we've learned to eat the right food, look after our bodies on the whole. Um, Mental health, as you say, it's becoming very important. Mm -hmm. Emotional health, we're measuring everything by EQ now. But nobody's looked at spiritual health because that is an aspect of who we are. And it's what connects us to everything there is to ourselves, to each other. So, what is
3: that spiritual part of us? You know, do we define it by religion? You know, Hindu, Mm. Jew, Catholic, Protestant, what?
6: I think that's possibly something that's been too disconnecting because it's labelling and it's putting people into boxes.
3: So, it's not about a faith or a particular... Not necessarily
6: about uh, a particular faith, but it's about your own faith. With a greater power. A greater power. God if that's what you want to call it, could be music, could be nature, could be Buddha, whatever it is you think, or whatever it is that makes your own soul sing, whatever brings you alive and brings you into a flow of harmony.
3: So could interfaith be, does what it says on the tin. It cuts through the fates. It's of no faith. Is that what you're it's, saying?
6: Yeah, one spirit interfaith. So it believes that there's only, there's one there's there, we're all one we're one. all connected to a higher source um, and when we live our passion and we tune into what makes our heart sing yes. we're tuned into that one source without labels so I'm a great believer in not labelling anything because it does dissect and it, it gives us that opportunity to go oh you're part of that and I'm not sure I connect with that so I'm going to be part of this yes. you know and it creates the separation and the disconnection
3: but if I'm a happy Hindu, Jew, Protestant mm. or Catholic, is that okay? If, I, if Absolutely. I'm happy within <laughs> my, my own faith and yeah, self. Yes. Yeah,
6: exactly. We're all human mm. at the end of the day. And I think what it is, is that we've forgotten how to be the being part of the humans. <laughs> we became human doings. And so the being part is what's really connecting us to the presence. And what is that presence only connecting for me with our full body with our full awareness of our physical our mental or emotional our spiritual is what holds everything together. So me.
3: Peter said to me yesterday when he met you and your group he felt he was right at home and and meditation yeah. is a big thing. Is that a big and that should be a major part of all of our existence?
6: I think so. Um I teach it in the corporate space and in the public space as well. And I believe that also meditation and mindfulness has gone down a road of separating and labelling different types of meditation and mindfulness. And often I get asked a question, what type of meditation do you do? (laughs) And I just say, well, you'll just wait and see. It's just as simple as possible. It's just connecting with your body. So if you have... um, A lot of the time we're in our heads because we're taught to memorise things in school. We have to think about doing things all the time. So all the energy is in our head and we disconnect from our bodies. So the more energy we can bring into our bodies, we're functioning on all cylinders rather than just one. (laughs) Um, And I've seen it and I've witnessed it with so many classes that I run that people are just so much more present and grounded. And all the stress just melts away no matter what's going on with their lives. Actually... Um, Tuesday evening I had a class and there was one lady who came to the class. She had, on Wednesday, her dog died. On Friday, her son was knocked down. And on Sunday, her daughter ended up in intensive care. Now, if that's not enough... What a week. to ...to throw anybody off completely, but she came back to the meditation class and she said, if it wasn't for the class, if it wasn't for the work that I've been doing with you to keep myself centred... I don't know where I'd be. And she was completely calm. She was shaken, for sure. But inside, she felt strong. She felt grounded. She felt this is all happening for a reason. And I'm here to be able to support in whatever way I can.
3: So you are in a class-based environment and you teach and guide people along the way and then I take it, they take what they learn with them and this is something they can do every day for
6: themselves. Yeah, exactly. Keeping it simple. And even if it's just connecting with the breath, with the sensation of the air coming in and out of your nose.
3: I've done that a couple of times. Have you? I'm a mad thing. I'm always (laughs) talking and always on the go. But I did do that recently. I went into my little room and I sat there and I think I was talking to somebody in the show and I just sat there and I closed my eyes. And I just took this breath deep into my lungs and I thought, I tried to put everything out of my head and Mm -hmm. just think about that.
6: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very nice. Isn't it? It is. I know. And even when we're not conscious of it, if something's stressful, we take a deep breath anyway. Our body intelligence knows what to do, um, but we don't often tune into it. We're not conscious of it. So it's bringing the conscious awareness to what we're doing and to being present right here in this moment, right now. We can only take one breath at a time. You're very content. Yeah, <laughs> I meditate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are, and you look very
3: happy and very well. And do you reckon you've cracked the code of what this life is about and getting through it?
6: I don't know. Um, I don't. Will we ever? <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't claim to have cracked any codes, yes. except for myself. Mm. And you know. In how I am in myself and how I can affect other people and how I can hold a space for other people to be able to open to their own truth. Yeah. And every day is different. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring or how I'm going to be able to handle a teenage daughter not getting up for school.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Does that do any of us?
6: Look, look, this
3: clock's beating us today. I've only got a flavour for you and who you are. I want to ask you today to come back to me and talk more about the corporate wellness end of sure. things and more about this. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. We, if we love do to, that. Love to. Um, it's been lovely to meet you. So, the message today is meditate, folks. Meditate. How do people find out about your group or get involved with you? What's the easiest way? Sure.
6: Um, I suppose the website, um, TracyO'Connor.com. It's Tracy spelled like the surname.
3: Ah, our Louise said that to me this morning. She <laughs> said, Are you sure that's right? That's a surname, first name. Yeah, She's that's a right. She's a sharp on that, Louise. She is. She, she must in. meditate too. <laughs> she sings and hums. I don't know about meditating. Oh, I'll that's have to med- talk to her about that after the show. But that's meditation, <laughs> exactly. I'm sure, in its own right. Exactly. Anyway, well done, Louise.
6: <laughs> uh, so-, so it's T-R-E-A-C-Y, <laughs> O'Connor.com. O'Connor. Dot dot .com. you yeah, can get all
3: you. the details there. <laughs> Um, I feel good finishing the show Excellent. today. I say that for sure. Lovely to meet you. Lovely. And we will meet thanks, again. Jerry. Tracy. Thanks for the thanks moment. Very Take much. care of yourself. That's it on Late Lunch for this Thursday afternoon. Coming up tomorrow, yes, we're giving away that uh, trip to Rome and the 500 euro spending money with Sandra Finnegan from Globe Travel. God, it's, I feel like Santa Claus here on Late Lunch this week. And we'll have our boot club with Margaret Madden and the virtuoso of Vino as well as Mr. Rick Cronje. What a Friday on Late Lunch. See you tomorrow, half one.
2: The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used vehicles in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstomotors.ie
0: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.